The Response Source Journalist Inquiry Service connects you, the journalist, with PRs and organisations to secure expert comment, case studies and information for independent editorial, free of charge. Response Source puts you in touch with experts and PR contacts across all sectors, saving you hours of research and helping you meet your deadlines. Hello and welcome to Freelancing for Journalists, the podcast that tells you everything you need to know about working for yourself. I'm Emma Wilkinson, a freelance journalist specialising in health and medicine. And I'm Lily Cantor, a freelance money, health and lifestyle journalist. We are getting back into the swing of things. I am definitely uh, enjoying recording podcasts again. How has your week been, Lily? It's been all right, actually. I feel like I'm finally getting the work-life balance right. Um, goodness knows how long it will last for. Um, I have been a little bit preoccupied with the running challenge I've been doing for the last few weeks, which has been lots of mental running things every day. So I'm kind of glad that's out of the way now. <laughs> I can actually get on and do some work. But yeah, it's been all right. How about you? Um, yeah, I mean, I can't say the same on the work-life balance front. I've been very busy, but I didn't have to do any homeschooling last week because uh, my partner took the week off work. So that was, I mean, I was flying through the work. It's absolute joy just to be me and not having to be a teacher at the same time. So yeah, it's all good. Right, well, today we've got a topic um, Emma and I have talked about quite a bit before because it always causes a great deal of debate every time it comes up um it's something that's come up on our facebook group before and got quite um animated shall we say it's one we've been wanting to do for ages because we've always felt there's quite a lot of nuance to it um then is often discussed so today we're going to be asking the question should you ever work for free i feel a bit like that needed a drum roll Lily, that was a good build up to that one. Um, yeah, this topic does come a lot, come up a lot in freelance journalism and it's kind of really important. Um, but we think kind of in our own community and in other groups and on Twitter, we've kind of see, seen the debate become sort of very heated perhaps and there's not so much of the nuance um, kind of around it. So we were hoping to give the space here today to, to talk a bit more. Uh, in detail about those issues. Yeah, and I think maybe a good starting point for this would be to answer the question about whether we've ever worked for free. Um, I'll sort of start this and say that yes, I have, particularly when I was starting out with freelancing, I'm really trying to build my cuttings and build my confidence. Um, I did quite a lot, actually. I used to write blogs for uh, an academic jobs website that wasn't paid, although I did get some free conference tickets out of it. And I wrote a lot of articles for them. I also wrote some for Academics Anonymous, which was an, a network in The Guardian. And again, for me, it was just getting a byline in The Guardian. It was really exciting, even though it was, it was anonymous. Um, it, it was really really useful um, in terms of sort of building my confidence and my pitching skills. Um, and then I suppose now, um, occasionally we write the odd sort of article if it's promoting something else like the podcast or one of our courses. So it's not very often, but if, if we feel that there's a reason for it, then yeah, that we would do the odd thing for free. What's your experience on this one, Emma? Yeah, so I was thinking about this. Um, 
I mean, for me, it's not so much around the journalism stuff because I had quite a smooth transition from kind of working into freelancing within a niche that I already had quite a lot of experience of. Um, I mean, like every student, I did the five weeks of work experience in London that, you know, completely sent me into my overdraft and was so expensive and I didn't get paid. Um, I did have a blog at one point, but I, that was a teaching tool that I was using really. So there was a purpose to me doing that. Um, and when I first started doing lecturing, teaching, I did do kind of the odd guest lecture or talk for free. Um, mainly because I was just starting out, I think, and it was about kind of building my confidence doing it. Sometimes it's because I was speaking for organisations where I felt um, I kind of wanted to help that organisation. Maybe local organisations that didn't have any kind of other money. Um, I have presented my work at academic conferences, which normally if you were salaried as a lecturer, that wouldn't matter. But for me on a um, kind of temporary contract, um, zero hours contract essentially means I'm doing that for free because I'm not getting paid for those hours. So, yeah, I mean, it's something I do think about. And I would always usually ask for talk, uh, for money for doing talks or lectures now, because that's something that I've done for years and I'm very experienced at and I wouldn't expect to do that for free. Um, but again, with that kind of caveat that it just depends on the organisation, it depends on that circumstance and who's asking and why. Yeah, we did have a very nice jolly to Paris, didn't we, a couple of years ago? <laughs> we, d we did have a very nice <laughs> jolly to Paris. Do you remember when you could travel, Lily? Yeah. But I mean, you that was a few days, wasn't it? And obviously they paid for travel and accommodation, um, but not for our time so again as a freelancer you know time is money but you know it was nice few days in Paris we got well fed and yeah I decided um, uh, I decided the pros outweighed the cons with that one yeah <laughs> so it does depend um okay well we've got two fantastic guests to talk to about this topic but first as we always to do we're going to offer our top tips basically mine on this one's quite straightforward and it's basically ignore what everyone else says and make your own judgment. I think it's very much a case by case basis. Everyone's in a very different situation. You might get people shouting and screaming at you on social media, but at the end of the day, you've got to make a judgment call that's right for you. So just kind of ignore everybody else would be my kind of quite um, abrupt advice on that one. How about you, Emma? I bet you're a bit more nuanced than me. <laughs> I think that's good advice because you know everyone's circumstances are different but yeah I guess so my top tip is that so you might feel when you're starting out that there is some benefit to you to doing a certain amount of work for free because you want to overcome that catch-22 of having a portfolio to show someone and um, to convince you to give them work in the first place it's kind of like you've got to have that work to show someone that you can do the work to get commissioned uh the thing that I would advise is knocking that on the head fairly soon because I think it's really easy and I've kind of people have come in to our webinars and things and asked us about this and I think it's really easy to fall into that trap of assuming that you might never get paid for your work or that you don't deserve to get paid yet you're not there yet there's there's some kind of magic barrier that you have to get over before you can get paid before you can call yourself a freelance journalist and um, so I guess yeah it's just to kind of set a limit to that and you know, it's really important to make sure that you're not being exploited by companies who should really be paying you for what you're doing. Yeah, definitely. Okay, let's move on to our guests. So this week, we've got Kathleen Kuhn. Hi, Kathleen. Hello, thanks for having me. 
Kathleen is a senior lecturer in media studies at Victoria University of Wellington in New Zealand. So she's joining us from tomorrow, um, quite literally. She's uh, there in the morning and we're here um, nine o'clock at night. Um, her research and teaching interests focus broadly on digital media, labor issues and consumer culture. And she's done a lot of work on free labor and um, the term that she coins hope labour and we'll be going to be asking her a lot more about that in a minute. Uh, we also have with us Beth Kirkbride. Hi Beth. Hello, thanks for having me. Uh, Beth is an NCTJ accredited freelance journalist who has worked with Cosmopolitan, Metro, The Telegraph and more. Uh, Beth is also the founder and music editor of The Indie Pendant, uh, a volunteer-led entertainment outlet and print magazine providing opportunities for early career journalists established in 2014. Okay, so we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of this debate very soon, but let's start with our top tips. So Kathleen, I'm going to come to you first. What would your one bit of advice be for someone, perhaps someone who's starting out, who's thinking, should I work for free? Sure. So I think I take a slightly different lens to the concept of free labor, because when I think about it, I think about it much more broadly, not just in, um, you know, a contract or an arrangement with a reputable company, but also the things you're already doing online, which I consider free labor. Um, so my advice is to first actually do a stock take of what you're already doing and learn to set boundaries early. And there are only so many hours in the day and you know you opened with a discussion about work-life balance and I think that that's something, and I say this as a mid-career professional, that's something I was not taught early on how to set. And so I'm only now kind of learning how to set boundaries. And I think that one of the ways you do that is before you decide, yes, I'm gonna take this up, this opportunity, um, how much free labor are you already doing? So that's what I mean by doing a stock take. Consider what you're already doing and consider what that work projects to your desired audience, um, especially around the range and quality of the activities. So for example, do you already have a website or a blog where you're trying to post content to showcase your talents. I'm thinking of an early career, you know, someone early in their career, um, posting writing samples, but you can't even keep up with it. In other words, does it look like my website <laughs> where the last, the last post was from, you know, a year ago? Um, are you also at the same time trying to be active on LinkedIn, but never getting to your messages or engaging the network? Are you trying to intentionally create some kind of influencer style content on Instagram that actually takes a lot of time that screams, here I am, I'm a recent grad looking, you know, an aspiring journalist and looking very journalist-like, you know, but it's a bit contrived and we can kind of see through that, I think, if you're, um, you know, a reader. Have you done multiple unpaid internships already? And have you done lots of volunteer work that you're showcasing across these platforms? Um, so these are the kinds of things that I think that need to first be thought about. Um, yeah, if, if you are self-presenting as someone who's already got loads of unpaid work experience, and looks like you might be trying to make it through social media channels or in that influencer ecology, then why would I pay you? Um, and then just in terms of you know time. So what are you already doing? How much time are you spending? How necessary or valuable are these activities really? Where are they getting you? 
Um, so figure that out first and start setting boundaries immediately before you start getting overwhelmed or uh, appear as someone who might actually not really know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, I do, I do really like that advice of setting boundaries because you can just try and do too much and be everything to everybody and then just spread yourself really thin. Um, Beth, what about you? What would be your one top tip for someone kind of pondering this question? Should I work for free? So I think it's really important, like Lily said at the beginning, to think about what value is in it for you, um, um, whether it's contributing to a site like The Independent or it's a few days of unpaid work experience here or there at your local paper. As long as you feel like your writing is getting better um, as a result of being edited or you feel like your work is reaching more people than it would if you were just self-publishing on a blog, um, or if you've got the opportunity to ask more experienced journalists that you're working with on a collaborative unpaid project questions about how to go about landing paid writing work, I think there is value there. Um, and I think it's really important that early career stage journalists like the people that write for The Independent know that they, there isn't any reason why they can't be pitching to national or local papers. Um, and in fact, I would prefer that they try to pitch to those places first. Um, and it's when you don't get a response or you think that there's something wrong with your pitching process or your idea formulation that you should take a step back and reflect and think, OK, is there more work that needs to be done? Can I do more unpaid practice to get better enough um, to be able to land those paid writing opportunities? I think it, it's, it's all about value and it is an indiv individual um, issue, like Lily said. Yeah, and I think that's the thing that sometimes gets kind of missed in the debate and the debate gets kind of very ferocious and people sort of attacking each other sometimes. And I think we kind of forget why young or early career journalists might be willing to work for free. And Kathleen, you, you've written about this and um, I'm just wondering kind of from your point of view, what factors might be driving that decision that that people you know want to work for free or are willing to work for free yeah i think that one of the main contextual reasons um, is because we now exist in a tight and competitive market that's increasingly defined by short-term temporary gigs um, and contract work so you no longer have you know someone who enters a job and stays there for their entire lives 30, 40 years and then retires with a nice pension or whatever. Um, and the pool of people who are competing for these gigs are highly educated. So having a university degree is no longer necessarily a point of distinction. People are not only doing just one unpaid internship, they're doing multiple internships, et cetera. You know, um, you've got people with higher levels of social capital, family networks, competing with people who've got nothing, you know. Um, so I think everyone's kind of trying to get a leg up in this precarious economy. And that is a real driver for this feeling like, okay, I need the experience and the exposure to set myself apart. So unpaid work becomes perceived as an opportunity to gain that experience and exposure. Um, it's a way to make yourself visible in a highly saturated competitive market um, where you kind of lack agency. And so people hope instead and become very motivated by that. Yeah, I mean, Beth, you know this, we know this, that whenever this debate pops up, it can get quite heated. You can get kind of very strong views. And, um, you know, as admins for our own Facebook community, we've kind of felt the need that a couple of times to kind of step in and go, let's all please be kind to each other. Like we understand both sides of this debate, but let's have a 
debate rather than just kind of uh, shouting at each other. And I always really feel for students and newbies kind of trying to navigate this because they might just might be the first time they've posted in a particular Facebook group or they've put something they think is, you know, fairly innocuous on Twitter. And then there's a big pile on by experienced journalists shouting at them for ever considering working free. And um, I'd really I'd just be interested to hear your thoughts on kind of how to navigate that really. Yeah, I think it's absolutely an issue in terms of the vitriol that sometimes comes out from some more established professionals that really should know better um, than piling on young journalists. Um, I absolutely agree that young people um, should be paid for their work if it's up to the, the satisfactory standard. But I think until national newspapers and magazines offer work experience schemes that are paid, um, there is going to continue to be a real access problem in journalism. Um, and there are social enterprises um, such as Presspad that are trying to challenge that. But I think there's such a long way to go to make the media industry more diverse. Um, and I think the nuance that's often missed out um, when journalists are talking about doing unpaid writing work is that it's generally regarded as okay to do unpaid writing work for a student newspaper. But actually there are a lot of journalists that didn't go to university and don't have that qualification. So they don't have that training ground on which they can cut their teeth and learn how to write an article and how to structure it properly. So actually by having work experience opportunities or graduate schemes that only take a certain set of qualifications, you're automatically making the media landscape not diverse. Um, so I think it's really important that there are platforms like the one that I run that offer people that don't have that education background, uh, the ability to learn how to write and how to pitch. Um, and I think a recurrent argument is also don't write for somebody else for free, write your own blog. But as Kathleen kind of alluded to, it's, it's not an easy thing to do to just set up a blog and to have a regular content schedule. It's really hard to make sure that your output is consistent and that you're keeping readers engaged. So I think often people say, don't write for other people for free, run your own project, but that actually misses out a lot of the nuance of the fact that running a website comes at a massive cost. There are overheads involved, especially if you want to look professional to PR people. So you need like a domain email address as well. Um, and also like if you're self-publishing you're not being edited so your work is more likely to contain errors so if you're then using that work as a clipping to show to a national to prove that you're capable of landing paid writing work it's probably not going to be the like the same level that it would be if you were working with someone else even if it was just a friend that you edited each other's work it doesn't need to be a full-blown media operation um, and I, I do also think it takes a lot of time to build a social following as well. So there is a value add in terms of the community that young people get from writing for a publication that is kind of collaborative. It's almost like a communal portfolio site. And I think that's very, very different from the kind of unpaid writing work that a lot of national newspapers expect, for instance, on a, a two week work experience scheme. One thing that always strikes me as well in this debate is it really depends where the conversation is happening. So, for example, if you've got, a say, a Facebook group that's got quite a lot of established freelance journalists in it and someone posts, you know, here's an opportunity to, to write for this new publication, um, I'm afraid we're a start, we haven't got any budget. And then, like you say, you get the vitriol and, and people kind of really coming in and having a go. And then if that same post is put in a say young journalist community Facebook group, you get like 70 people saying, yes, please, I'd, I'd love to work for you. This looks like a great opportunity. And so it's all, it's kind of, yes, you know, experience does mean that you will view things differently. But I think also 
you know, people forget, don't they, what it's like when you're starting out and, you know, that not everybody is out to kind of get you. I guess you're not so sort of jaded thinking that everyone's trying to exploit you. But another sort of thing that always comes around in these debates is the idea of if you do any work for free, you're kind of devaluing the skill of journalism and you're pushing rates down. And certainly freelance rates in the UK have been stagnant for about 20 years now. Um, Kathleen, just want to come to you and kind of ask, do you think, you know, is there any evidence that this actually happens? Does working for free kind of push rates down or do devalue journalism in any way? In terms of whether it devalues the skill of journalism, I'm not really sure how you would necessarily quantify that, um, whether it's been devalued as a skill because of free labor. Um, I personally don't think that, you know, quote unquote, quality journalism has taken the dive. Um, rather, the visibility of just bad journalism has increased. Um, I'm thinking of like America's 24 hour news cycle. Um, you know, there's bloggers and citizen journals, unpaid writers, amateurs, you know, independent writers who are producing amazing work that's really influential and a lot of times ends up getting picked up by mainstream media or, you know, reputable uh, journalistic outlets. I mean, I just look at how much journalism is even based off of the tweets of people, <laughs> not only as, you know, free commentary, but the subject of news stories. And I, I question that. Anyway, um, but I think if we're going to talk about devaluing journalism, I think what's probably more productive and more accurate to say is that the free labor economy actually devalues workers um, as human beings rather than devaluing the skill of research writing and reporting. Um, whether or not there is empirical evidence to support that, I'm not aware of any. Um, and that's the same with whether it pushes down the rates for any for everyone. I don't. I'm not aware of any uh, causal research that has established that. Um, I think that would be really very challenging um, to argue. I think it's probably always going to remain a bit of a theoretical debate. Um, but yeah, I'm not aware of any actual empirical quantitative research that uh, that confirms that there might be, but I'm not aware of it. I mean, Beth, you have an interesting perspective. I kind of really liked the, um, I think you, I saw you on Twitter kind of making this point about learning about the pitching process and kind of being editors and having kind of a space to learn what, how to work professionally and how this process works. And what kind of advice do you give to kind of young journalists who are coming to you? They might be students or recent graduates. Um, about kind of what writing for publications like uh, The Independent can do and um, can help them, how that can help them. Yeah, so absolutely. I think there is a huge value add in terms of writing for a platform like ours, um, especially when you're, you haven't got that journalistic training um, or you haven't gone to university. I think there is certain things that knowledge um, there are great resources out there like journal resources and other platforms that provide free journalism advice but unless you know where to look for that advice you're not going to find it and um, so having an ecosystem where you can ask the stupid questions and you can post in a Facebook group and get like supportive responses rather than kind of the more experienced journalists piling on you and saying don't write for free it's really important to have a, a community um, but I think the, the advice that I would give to people 
considering writing for free for that kind of platform is is somebody else benefiting financially from your labor and if so um that's probably a problem um i feel quite happy about the fact that i ask people to write for free because i personally don't take a penny out of the operation it is a not a non-profit um, and everything that we make in terms of advertising or selling courses and webinars or even our new donations function that goes straight back into the, the running of the site. And we do have a small budget for a writer of the month um, award fund. Um, and the actual cash value of that means very little to the people that win that prize. It's not a huge sum of money, but actually having the writer of the month accolade is far more meaningful to them because that's a, recogni a recognition of their um development as a writer and I think especially for people starting out who have always known they're passionate about journalism but maybe they're 15 or 16 years old that they are not going to be good enough to pitch to a national paper and that's just the honest truth of it we see writers from all walks of life come in our doors and they develop over time and that's because we have the the hand-holding editorial process because our editors are there to help people they're not there to make money for a media organization um, and to hit a um, certain number of traffic like we're more willing to take a punt on individuals and work with them um, on an individual basis to develop their writing um, and I do just think that's so different to a, a for-profit media organization and their aims um, so I would say to anyone thinking of starting out um, and maybe trying to find some unpaid byline experience just make sure the platform has the same ethos and, and values that you do and make sure that you're not being exploited by just putting money in someone else's pocket yeah, yeah. I think that's, sorry yeah go on Ellie, you go yeah I was going to say I think that's a really important point I think that's kind of what we were going to come on to really is that idea of making the distinction between like you say an established media organization that is making profit or not even making profit but you know can afford to pay for for any kind of freelance content um, and smaller organizations that that have a different function like you say like maybe more of a, a training ground and giving people opportunities that aren't perhaps good enough um, to be in those other publications um, but I guess there must be sort of circumstances where we should perhaps be pushing back more and and understanding you know where to draw that line and uh, Kathleen I wonder if we could bring you in here if if you've got any thoughts on kind of when we should be saying, no, we're not working for free, uh, you know, how do you make that decision of, of when to do that? It's a tough one. Um, again, I think as, um, as Beth had said, there are always, or someone had said earlier, there's always contextual factors at play. Um, I don't think it's such an always a clear cut decision, um, which is why it can be quite helpful to have maybe your boundaries set in place in the beginning. I would ask myself, well, is it relevant to my career goals or is it just like, and how is it relevant? What is this opportunity going to teach me? Um, and if nothing, why are you wasting your time if it's just for, you know, another line on the CV? Um, for how long is the arrangement going to be because 
that actually matters. Um, many of us are time poor. And again, if you're working for free, you're, you're, those are hours that are not earning income. Um, so those are some clear boundaries, I think, about to, on any side of, you know, or, or rather for any firm, small firm, independent, nonprofit, or a large company. And what's the trade-off? I think those are important questions that you just have to ask and be realistic about. And then one of the things I wanted to say is that I think there is sort of maybe we would be more willing to work for uh, a small, smaller firm and an independent or nonprofit. But I would also inquire um, about, you know, the sort of intellectual property arrangements between the two of you, you know, what happens to the content when you leave, what are you allowed to do with it? Um, things like that, you know, what level of creative agency are you entitled to have there? So like, again, for me, it really depends you know, on, on the, the conditions and the context, but rather than just being so excited that you've been offered the opportunity, think about it first um, and ask yourself these questions. Because uh, in a way you're just, you're, you're kind of devaluing yourself in, in that regard, just to say yes to everything, um, because you're kind of saying in a way that like you, you for some reason don't deserve to set boundaries um, around, you know, the contracts that you do and don't engage in. So I guess that's where I'd start. I don't know if that's a good answer or not. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, yeah, I think it's very helpful. I think taking a step back and thinking about kind of the value that you're getting from something, um, you know, is always worthwhile in kind of any working relationship. So that's really useful. I was listening to a podcast at the weekend. It was the journalism.co.uk interview with Robin Vintner about the um, kind of closing of the overtake and it was absolutely fascinating I would recommend everybody listen to it obviously after you've listened to our podcast stay here first then go and listen to it and um, but she was talking about how she could only really she could only afford to pay people kind of um 50 pounds an article and she was trying so hard to put limits on like she was just people were knocking on her door to do work experience and she was kind of putting limits of 15 days on it. And they were like begging her to work for more because they just loved the publication and that kind of constant battle that she had. And I think if you were just looking at social media, you wouldn't see that because she was forever getting criticized for not paying enough people for writing for the overtake. And, you know, then a few years later, everybody's kind of bemoaning the fact that it closed down. It's like, you can't have it both ways. Um, so are there things that us more experienced journalists can do to kind of maybe call out exploitation or just encourage a fairer debate about this? So knowing when to flag up bad practice and kind of when to take a step back and maybe ask questions, maybe start a debate going, but perhaps do it. Um, there are probably more effective ways to do it. Would you agree with that, Beth? Yeah, so I think it goes back to what we were saying about the kind of nature of online communication. Um, it's very easy to lose your head and become a bit of a keyboard warrior, but I think a good rule of thumb is just be respectful. And, and if you are going to call out um, something that you think is unfair, make sure that you do it in polite, a polite way. And if you've got a substantial following, maybe don't slam dunk or quote tweet or kind of use your platform to kind of co-opt a response against someone that maybe doesn't have the same kind of platform as you. 
Um, but I think it's really important that individual journalists that have more experience under their belt um, ask themselves if they're being hypocritical. So if you did loads of unpaid work experience when you were coming up, is it really fair to deny that kind of opportunity to someone else? Um, and similarly, if you're a, a staff writer rather than a freelancer, perhaps, or an even an editor, um, ask what you're doing to put pressure on the bigger media organisations. Like, are you in a room with people that make the decision about a work experience scheme? Are you in the position to influence um, what your recruitment process is for a graduate training scheme, for instance? Um, and yeah, don't um, pin criticism on individuals. Just try and lobby for larger widespread change within the media industry and then focus on the big players because like when I started out, I did unpaid work for a national newspaper that I'm not going to name, but I thought that was so cool. My granddad printed out the article, he like laminated it and put it on the fridge. And that meant more to me than it, like 50 quid would have done at the time. Um, and I think that's the problem is young journalists are often so passionate. They, they want the byline more than they actually want the money. Um, but that becomes a problem when you are doing this as a vocation and you need it to keep the lights on, I think. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I can totally relate to that idea of wanting the byline more than the money when you're starting out. And yeah, there's quite a few things there, Beth, that I can really um, relate to. I remember when I was working on a, a daily newspaper and we had a work experience girl that used to come in one day every week and she was fantastic. And we got to the point where I was like, we're not paying her and this is getting to the point of exploitation. And I basically lobbied the editor to give her at least like a Christmas gift, like a £50 voucher. Um, and he wouldn't have done it if I hadn't have just kept on and on at him. Um, and you're right, I think it's just about people doing what they can to to influence those that do make those decisions as well and kind of tackling it from that point of view rather than attacking the people that are doing the work for free and perhaps don't realize that there is kind of such a big debate around this and that there's a difference between getting work experience to get your foot in the door for a staff job and trying to build a freelance career you know they're, they're different things and I think they do often get very very muddied and also writing for academic publications which is kind of a whole other area and I mean I've fallen foul of this myself kind of got attacked on Facebook when we ask someone to do a book review um, and basically academic publications don't pay that's not how the academic community works it's 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 about collaboration and pe most people are in a salary job anyway so that it is their job to write reviews and articles and they're getting paid via their salary you would never go to a journal and say you know I expect to get paid those kind of publications are seen as the dodgy publications the one that are buying your your content because it goes through a vigorous peer review process. So I think the point I'm trying to make really is you've got to understand the context in which you're working as well. Um, and, and that's different in different areas. Um, sorry, I'm just going yeah, off on just one make, now. <laughs> just make, well, no, I think, I think we're, we're all nodding away. I think we all completely agree. I mean, it, we just need to make that distinction, I think, because I've I've seen it kind of fairly recently, a couple of examples of students who were saying we're starting, like, I know they're students, they say they're students, and they say we're starting a website on such and such a topic. Does anyone want to come and write for us? It's not paid. Of course, it's not paid. They've got no money. They're just starting their own website. And then lots of people 
going you know just piling on and saying you shouldn't really be doing this and it's kind of well you know if they want to and they've thought it like I just don't it's not the same as big media organizations national newspapers you know exploiting um young graduate student newbie journalists who they should be paying just do not see that in the same category at all yeah and 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 I think the overtake is a good example actually of that because I wrote some articles for the overtake and I wrote them because they were stories that I was really felt very passionate about and I couldn't place them elsewhere because of the kind of I don't know they they that what the overtake was doing was trying to kind of tell the stories that that the London centric newspapers wouldn't tell um and so you know I had a story that I was trying to place that was about um people coming out of prison and being rehabilitated and go working in a bakery and the advice I was getting was I had to turn it into sort of quite a sensationalist piece which I didn't want to do that wasn't the story and the overtake was the the place that would take the story that in the way that I wanted it represented so there was value to me in that in in the way that they would represent that story for me um so you know I yeah I only got 50 pounds and I if I was writing that for a different publication I would be expecting probably four or five times that but again it's it's about weighing up what the value is for you um I guess it that that's what it all comes down to at the end of the day I think have we managed to make the point Lily that this is actually far more complicated and nuanced <laughs> than is often <laughs> presented in online discussions Okay, shall we move on to our listener dilemma of the week? So this is the section of the podcast where we put your questions to our guests and fix a problem you've been having uh, or just give our thoughts on something that you've been uh, pondering. Yeah, so this week the dilemma is, it's not actually from an individual listener, but it's a question that kind of pops up all the time um, and it's about knowing what to charge. So it's kind of related to what we're talking to today. Um, but especially if you've been asked to quote for a project or perhaps a different type of work than you're used to. Um, so it might be writing a press release or doing some copywriting work. Um, yeah, and quite often you get asked, like, what's your fee? Um, we had this recently when we, we were asked to do a guest talk and we were asked kind of, well, what, what do you charge? And then you suddenly kind of have to come up with a figure and justify it. Um, Emma, I'm going to go to you first on this one. What what would your advice be? Um, do your research. So, I mean, I would say, especially if you're doing something that you wouldn't normally. So say you normally write articles for newspapers and you're kind of used to the kind of fee that you would get for that, but some you came across some copywriting work or some PR work that someone was asking you to do. Those fees are very different. You suddenly realise that journalism is really badly paid when you get asked to do those type of job so if you went in with your normal fee you'd be massively undercutting yourself so do your research work out kind of there are lots of resources out there where you can go to find out what a reasonable rate for that type of work uh, would be yeah that's that's very true in fact there's a section on it in our book I've just just come to mind actually <laughs> um the, nothing like plugging the product yeah yeah, yeah but I, I wrote the bit on um on uh supplementary income streams and i remember researching like copywriting rates and ghost writing rates 
Um, and there are loads of resources, like you say, online where you can look at rates wherever you are in the world and kind of see what the average is. So, yeah, I would just say go and kind of seek out um, the rates for that kind of work. Um, and it depends on your level of experience as well. So there'll be particularly for PR work, there'll be kind of different tiers. So you need to kind of think about where you you are on that that tier. Beth, have you got any other sort of thoughts on that, on, on working out what to charge? I'm a massive advocate of crowdsourcing answers to questions. So ask your pals that have written for those publications, see what they what they got paid, whether they thought that they were being undercut and whether you could be cheeky and ask for any more. Uh, and my second bit of advice as a woman is think like a man. If a man would ask for more, then ask for the higher number. Um, there's literally no harm in asking. The worst thing that can happen is they're going to come back and say, that's slightly out of our budget. Would this work instead? Um, and just be polite and be respectful when you're asking for money. Like, it's an awkward thing to do, especially as a Brit. No one likes asking questions about money or talking about money, but it needs to be done. Um, and I definitely think if you ask your peers that are in a similar position in their careers to you, that's a really good benchmark because you kind of feel that you're getting a fair rate that way. Um, yeah knowledge is power Lily and I have both realized because we didn't talk about it in advance that we got paid vastly different amounts for being a case study in an article in the Daily Mail there was no difference we both had to kind of get photographed in a pink dress and but yeah the, Lily got £100 more and she didn't ask for £100 more it was just offered to her why is that difference there so this is why you've got to talk to your freelance buddy so you know what's right and what's wrong Kathleen have you got any top tips to add to that well, I'm one of those academics that doesn't get paid for her work, really, <laughs> except <laughs> except through salary. Um, and I would love someday to, you know, divide all of the work I do to see what my hourly wage actually is. It's probably much lower than I would want to know. One of the things that I would say, in addition to everything that's been said here, and maybe this is about a value point of doing a little bit of free or unpaid work is to find yourself a mentor within the industry, maybe someone at an organization that that you did do unpaid labor for and, you know, use that as not use it, but but use that opportunity to seek out people who might be able to assist you further throughout your career. Maybe that also facilitates the kind of understanding that's lacking in the debates um, that you're talking about that you see online. Uh, and they might have some really good advice, um, you know, some good ways of uh, teaching you how to ask for, you know, your your worth or maybe more than your worth, uh, things like that. So mine, I guess, would be more tactical than, you know, actual numbers because I've got no clue. <laughs> Just don't become an academic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. I think that's an excellent point to bring this episode to a close. So thanks so much to Kathleen and Beth for coming on and sharing your expertise on this topic. It was really, really helpful. Yeah. And if you want to know more about us, including our newsletter, then head to freelancingforjournalists.com or follow us on Twitter where we are at freelancing for. You can also follow us individually. Uh, I'm at Emma Journo. And I'm at Lily Cantor. Uh, and head on over if you haven't already and join our freelancing for journalists facebook community and um, we're lots and lots of people joining daily we're over 3,000 members now uh, and more recently we uh, joined instagram so you can find us there as well 
And if you appreciate this podcast or find it useful, you can buy us a virtual cuppa to say thanks. Our copy page is our... Well, actually, it says here in the script our pinned tweet. I'm not sure it is, actually. I think I might have changed that. Oh, we moved that recently. <laughs> but anyway... If You'll you, find um, us. It's Yeah, fine. it's on our website. Or if you go on coffee and, and put in freelancing for journalists, you'll find us. Um, you can always give us a thumbs up or review on the podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback. And that helps others find us as well. Yeah, and once again, thanks to our producer, Richard Wilson, who sorts out any edits for us. Next week, we will be discussing another hot topic. We're getting all the controversial ones out of the way at once, where next week we're doing trolling and online abuse. Oh, God. So, yeah. <laughs> Good, we'll look forward to that one. So, bye yeah. for now. Yeah, goodbye.